of uh, this is week three of a vision series for our church that we um, we generally do something like this each fall, um, where we just want to pause and and rethink and recast vision for why we do what we do, why we exist as a church. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today, and and what we've said these last few weeks. Um, is this, that our world is broken. Like, this is why the journey exists. Our world is broken. And I don't think anybody's arguing with that, right? If you are, just watch the news later. Our world is broken. And if we're honest, so are we. Right? So are we. And if, and, and if we're really honest, like, the reason the world is broken is because we, we are broken. We believe, like, the journey exists because we believe that God is in the process, God is in the business, God is in the, his mission is, here's the deal, we don't have a mission as a church, like that's silly, God has a mission, and therefore he created, like he has a church for that, it's foolish for us to think that there's just a church, and then oh yeah, we have to have something to do as a church, no, 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 God has a mission, he's doing something in the world, amen, and he has a church, which he intends to use to accomplish that mission. So the journey exists to join God in rewriting stories of brokenness through redemptive relationships. And we've said this over the last couple of weeks. We believe that everyone, everyone, period, throughout the whole world, like everyone born, needs to be, first of all, forgiven and restored by Jesus. The first redemptive relationship that we all have to have. The, the main thing, the thing that we're longing for, the only thing that will bring actual change and hope is to be forgiven and restored by Jesus Christ himself. And then secondly, we believe it doesn't just end there, but that in that, as the video said, like so much of what he has to offer happens when we leave these services and, and, and do life together. And so we believe the other thing that not only we Christians are craving, but all people, like we talked about last week, like loneliness is a real issue and it's all the buzz in the psychology world. Why? Because we're made to be in relationships, not just with God, but with one another. So we believe everybody needs to be forgiven and restored by Jesus, but then also to be known and accepted by his people. That the community, the relationships, the deep friendships that people are longing for, the church is the answer for that. That that is where we are to find real, authentic community. And so we talked about that last week, and then finally this week, that, that though it's, not, it's, not one, it's not step one, step two, step three, that this is all a part of what God has called us to. We talked about week one, that he saved us into something, right? That we're saved into Christ Jesus, and as a part of that, we have a relationship with him, with his church, and then we are on mission with him, that we're engaged with the things that he's engaged with. And so lastly, it is that each person needs to be relationally on mission in our community. And there's intentional language there, relationally. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the final piece of our, our vision series. Um, and he, here's the deal. When, like, if you ask yourself honestly why you show up to church. Why does church exist? Why this church? Why any other church? Like, if you ask yourself those questions, sometimes we haven't thought about that. Right? We just do things because it's what we always, when my wife and I do premarital counseling, we always start every couple with asking, okay, why do you want to get married? And they start telling, you know, sweet stories about 
you know, why they love each other and how they fell in love, which is all cool. But I'm like, okay, but why not just keep doing life together, right? And they're like, well, I haven't really thought about that. And a lot of times it's just, be, and I'm not saying, but they just haven't thought about the implications of marriage. It's just kind of what our culture does. We want, a, we want a wedding, we want a ceremony, we want to do life. But if you have to think about, okay, well, there's a reason that, that marriage exists and the covenant exists. And the same is true of church. So many of you guys have grown up around church and you just, you don't think about it. You don't critically examine why do we do what we do? Why does church exist? Is it just for people to come and do, you know, come to services? each week and and hopefully we'll fill this place up and more people will come and you know there's other churches around but hopefully we'll have a you know a successful deal and we'll gather and all of those things and 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 so sometimes we just don't think past that but we we believe that um the church exists for far more than just having good services and filling the building week in and week out and we don't just come up with that on our own because that's our preference Scripturally, if you walk through the narrative of the Bible, you will see that God has always had a purpose for the gathering of his people. For the, the, the people of God have always had a, a mission to the world. That God has had a mission that he wants to accomplish to the world through his people. And when we forget that and we just start gathering as a church, and, we're, and even if we're doing it really well, right? Even if everybody loves our church and everybody's coming and, and hearing, the, you know, the, they love the preaching, they love the music, they love this, they love that, and we're filling up and we've got to do new services. Like, ha- have we been a success if that's what happens? And I would submit to you, we won't read all of it, and I preached out of it before, and I put it in your, your uh, this weekend part of your app for you to follow up with, but I would submit to you uh, that if you read Isaiah 58, you will see that that has not been a successful church. And Isaiah 58 and other times throughout the Old Testament, and then you see Jesus does the same sort of thing in the, in the New Testament. But you'll see God calling out his own people for being routine and ritual in their worship. Isaiah 58 is God confronting, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. I would encourage you to read it later. But, but God is confronting his people. And, and, and he's saying, you gather together and you wonder why I haven't showed up. You wonder why I'm not speaking to you. you and you're like, hey, we, we've done these fasts. We're doing all this stuff. And <clears throat> we ask questions about why isn't God doing this? And God says, listen, because your services, your gatherings, your rituals are all self-serving. And you're no longer being the people of God. And what he begins to say is, I'm not pleased with a bunch of people who come to church every week. Even if they give money and they sing really well. And they, they, but it... I'm not pleased with that whenever you've stepped over broken, suffering, poor, hungry, orphaned, widowed people on your way to the service, and then you sing your songs. God says, that disgusts me. Disgust me. In fact, he tells them in another place to stop it. Stop it. Stop giving me offerings that are vain. Stop giving me songs that don't have any substance to it. If you're not going to live like the people of God, then it's, it's, it's an offense to my nostrils, God said, whenever you put something on the, offer, on, the offer, on the offering table. He says, stop it. He says, this is the, the type of service that I want my people to be about. I want my people to be about setting the captives free, helping people find freedom, Sharing what we have with those who don't have. Making sure that there's nobody who's hungry, nobody who doesn't have clothes in our midst. Caring for, over and over again, you'll see in the scriptures, caring for the the immigrant, the refugee, the sojourner, is how the Bible's going to call it. Those that are running from their own place, they have nowhere to, like, the people of God should be a refuge for someone who is suffering and, and has no home. Secondly, the widow. 
Because in, and in that, that's just, these are going to be different language for the vulnerable. Because in those days, whenever a husband passed away, the, the, the women didn't have a way to continue to provide for themselves. He says, that should be the church's deal. That should, the church should be the one loving on them, embracing them. And then over and over again, he says, and the orphan. Psalm 68.5 says that God is a father to the fatherless. He sets the fatherless in homes. The Lord is his name. Like He defines part of who he is by being a God who sees the orphan, sees those who are struggling, and commissions his people to meet those needs. And then we see that Jesus shows up in Luke 4, and, and the church has gotten really good at being religious, and all these people are doing all these really programmatic things, and Jesus shows up, and what does he quote? He quotes a passage from Isaiah, and he says that I have come, I'm just going to read it to you in Luke chapter 4. He says, this is, this is what I'm here to do. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim, the, proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and a recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus chooses that as his mission statement. That is what he has come to do. And then all throughout the rest of that book and the other gospel accounts, we see Jesus engaging relationally with the broken and marginalized of the culture. Over and over and over again. He's not doing events where he's just calling people, hey, come here and we'll feed you a good meal and we'll teach you a good message and hopefully you get your life straightened out and we'll see you next time. No, no, he is engaging with people. He's going into people's homes. He's sharing meals with people to the point that Jesus got the reputation amongst the religious people that he was a drunkard and a glutton. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they called him. The religious people said, this guy, we can't follow him. He's a friend of sinners. Like they said that in a very negative context. He's a friend of sinners. So, and Jesus spends his time, and, and he says, they call him out for it. And, and they're like, how dare you, you know, be hanging out with tax collectors who are like the worst of the worst in that day. I don't have time to unpack all of that. But sinners and, and, and people who have committed adultery and people that are in addiction and people that are sick and, and broken. And they thought that was because of their sin. He says, how dare you be around those sinners like you're unclean. And Jesus says, oh, you're exactly right that I'm around them. And you know why? He said, because it's not, the, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to the sick. Those who know they need a Savior, that's who Jesus spent his time with. And he puts this before us over and over again in the Gospels. And the religious people don't know what to do with it, but that's the rhythm. That's the pattern. And then James, we see after Jesus has died, like James is instructing the church and he reminds them, he says, hey guys, remember that true religion, if you're really going to be about God's work, true religion is that that cares for widows and orphans. So I would say to you from Scripture that absolutely not is our purpose as a church to just gather and do services and see if we can fill this place up. It's absolutely not our purpose. We have not succeeded in fulfilling what God has put before us if that is our goal and and even if we accomplish it. So we have to be about what Jesus was about. We have to do what God has called his people to do from the beginning. And maybe you would say, well, I don't know any hungry people. I didn't pass by any people that were starving on the way to church today. I don't know any orphans or whatever. I don't know any of these people. And besides, you know, don't we have, you know, social security programs for that? Doesn't my tax dollars pay for that? And, 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 and sometimes it's hard to connect the dots between the, the type of language that Jesus is using, the type of people that he's using to our modern context. But just let me share with you what's going on in our World in, in our little area of the world here. And so let me just share with you some of the, the realities that are right here 
in Williamson County, right here in our area. And, and I'm going to start with a stat about foster care. And I don't want you to check out and thinking this is just a, just a sermon, another sermon about foster care. There's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be some of that. And you've heard it before, and we're going to continue to provide opportunities. But this is, we're going to start here because it's indicative, and it shines light on a bigger picture. And we're actually going to talk about a lot of other opportunities that God has called us to as a church. So, so hang with me. But we're going to start here because it's, it's fresh and it's real to me. I've had some of my home, just like the cooks have, but it's real to me, so I want you to hear this. In Illinois, in our state, since 2014, the, the, the stats have stayed pretty consistent, and they average children entering foster care um, in a year's time, since 2014, has been around 4,600 kids. 4,660 kids. since 2000, So for four years, from 2014 to 2018, what happened in 2018, that number went up by 1,000. In 2018, that number went up to 5,661 kids. That's a huge increase. And we have people in the room that work in social services, and they can tell you that, we're, that, that, our, that our people are feeling that on every front. I met, my wife texted me and said, hey, there's a caseworker that's coming to get a couple, bed, a couple beds and mattresses, and we have some out in our building that we'd like to provide for those folks. And so uh, I, I stayed a little bit later, and I met this caseworker, and I was getting her the beds, and I apologized because actually I was in another part of the building, actually previewing that video that you just watched. And so she was, she was waiting on me, and I apologized. I said, actually, we're working on a video. We're trying to recruit more people for you. And she goes, oh, man, we need it. And I said, really? And she goes, or I said, well, I know. And she goes, you have no idea. She goes, do you know? She's, this is what she said. She said, do you know how often someone from our office has to spend the night at the office with kids because we cannot find a home for them? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't. Why don't you tell me? And she said, well, it happened three times in August. And she said, and now I'm not really that surprised by it when I come in in the morning and there's been kids that have stayed there all night and we just take turns as caseworkers. I said, ma'am, I did not know that. And then I picture those kids that are sitting there and I said, well, I've got calls late at night, and I've had to say no, and I've wondered what happens to the kids, and now I know. And so what I'm picturing is those children that are sitting there in an office, knowing that they're trying to find a place for them to go. And even though they're not in the same room and they're making the phone call, they know they're making calls because most of these kids have been in the system before. So they know that they're being rejected over and over. They know they're getting a bunch of no's. And this lady says, oh, yeah, about 300 of them on average. I said, you make 300 calls? She goes, well, it's not uncommon. I said, you're kidding. She said, no, I'm not. She said, this is just real. And she goes, and, we, and here's what she said. Here's what you need to hear. She says, we start down here in Williamson, Saline, Franklin counties because we want them to be in their, you know, close to their family so they can do visits and, and whatnot. So we start around here. She says, but we know there's not going to be any homes. Our homes are full. And she said, I know what you guys are doing through Restore's work, and we're getting some new families, but as, as fast as we get a family license, they get... Filled, their home gets filled up within a day or two. But she said, so we start calling around here. But she says, we know there's not going to be homes. And we make call after call after call after call until we end up three to five hours away from here to, place, to find a place for that child. She says, over the last six months, hardly any kids have been placed within three hours of their original home because there's not any. So that's just the reality that you need to know about. Now, what's going on with that? What's up with that increase? What's causing all of that? Well, 
also doesn't take a lot of observation to realize that it's directly related. The biggest percentage of that is related to the drug epidemic, right? The, the meth epidemic and the opioid addiction epidemic on top of, you know, alcohol and other things. But th- those make up a, a huge percentage. The majority of foster care instances are related to drug issues. You know, and, and you see those stories and you know those, those struggles. Here's another thing that's, happening, that's happened in our county. So uh, about a year ago or so, you sat here and heard, if you were here, you heard us talking about Mentors for Kids and inviting you to be a part of that. And, and what that is is just a program that works with kids that aren't in foster care necessarily. Some are, some aren't. But they've been identified by the school or their counselors or someone as someone that could benefit from a healthy adult relationship. And so Mentors for Kids is, hey, you can come be a part of this child's life six hours a month or so. Just do what you do. You, don't have to, you can take them with you as you run errands. You can you know, go to the park with them. You can bring them to church. But just build a relationship with these kids. And before we could even really get our people plugged in, that organization actually shut down because of lack of support, lack of volunteer. And here's what, here's what I found, is when they said to the schools, when they said to the counseling agencies like Centerstone and others, when they said, hey, we're here, you know, start finding us kids, and we'll, we'll have mentors. When they did that, the, the list of kids that, that wanted mentors, which means the kid had to say yes, and the kid's guardians had to say yes to having a mentor, that filled up really fast. And they had hardly any, in fact, none mentors to match them with. So they had to stop. They had to stop telling the schools, stop telling the counseling centers that they, because there was no mentors. There's another reality I wasn't aware of until recently. We have a VA hospital just down the road here. We have veterans that have served our country and that have struggled through life oftentimes and are now suffering toward the end of their life and many of them have no families no one to come with them to appointments, no one to sit with them while they get treatment, and oftentimes no one by their side when they pass away. So when you think, okay, I don't know if I got the Isaiah 58 type, I don't know if I stepped over any hungry people on the way here, like you did, because that's just that's what's going on in our area. That's, that's what's going on under our nose here in Southern Illinois. And I want you to imagine with me for just a moment, I want you to imagine someone from our area that grew up here and I don't know, whatever scenario you want to have in your mind, but I want you to imagine that later in life, they're, they're talking to somebody and they're telling their story. And they've been from Southern Illinois. And I want you to, want you to imagine, I don't think it's a stretch, I want you to imagine a story like this. Telling someone that, that has, not, no, has never been to Southern Illinois, but they're, ta- they're, 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 they're telling their story. I want you to imagine that this is how their story goes as they share with somebody who's never been here to our area. And they tell them that their parents, their parents were on drugs parents were both addicts. You should imagine somebody telling this story. My parents were both addicts. A lot of times they would leave me alone at night. Sometimes they wouldn't come back. Sometimes I'd wake up and be alone. I hardly ever had food. I had to fend for myself. I had to take care of my little sibling, my little brother or sister. I had to help them get food because dad, mom were strung out. Eventually, my dad ended up in prison. My mom overdosed one night, and so I ended up in foster care. Bounced around about five different homes the first year. I was old enough that nobody really wanted me, so I ended up in a group home. While I was in the group home, 
they, got, they asked me if I wanted to have a mentor, somebody to spend some time with me each month. And I said yes. But nobody ever showed up. My teenage years were full of being in and out of trouble. I eventually signed up for the military to try to provide some sort of life for myself. I went into service. I served my time. I came back. I struggled to live. I struggled to get over all that I'd been through. I struggled to have a normal life. I ended up an alcoholic. I, I, I had a few kids, but, man, I was too messed up to take care of them. So they ended up in foster care with their other parents. Now here I am. I've grown old, and I'm dying. I'm suffering, and I'm here, and I got nobody. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? I want you to imagine that the naive person who's hearing their story asked them this. Hey, hey, listen, how could that happen? What if they asked them this? Weren't there any churches? Wasn't there any Christians? Weren't there any churches that could have been there for you? If, and the person would have to say, well, yeah, there's churches all over Illinois, right? There's more churches than I can count just to hear in Marion, Right? You should imagine the weight of that story. If that, if, and and I, again, I made that up, but I don't think it's unrealistic. I want you to imagine that reality. And now, you think I'm being dramatic? As, some of you, as I know some of you do, I want to challenge you to read Matthew 25 up and against that story. I challenge you to read Matthew 25 later today up against that story. You see if Jesus doesn't care about that type of story. That, that Jesus doesn't care about that type of person. And you see if Jesus hasn't called his people to be the ones that intercede and show up when no one else does. Here's the deal. So often in, in church and Christianity becomes about what we're not supposed to do. Right? We're aware that these things are sin, and so we get people, you know, hey, come into church. We'll help you get your life cleaned up. And here, you know, to be a Christian means you don't do these things and you show up or whatever. And we talk so often about what we're not supposed to do. And we have these list of rules. Well, we're not supposed to cuss. We're not supposed to drink too much. We're not supposed to have sex before marriage. We're not supposed to watch rated R movies unless they're about Jesus and the crucifixion. And we're not supposed to listen to this music, blah, blah, blah. We have these list of rules about what we're not supposed to do, right? And we focus on that. And, and listen, there's plenty of things in the Bible about what we're not supposed to do. Like, that's legit. And the Bible says, hey, don't do these things. And if you do these things, that's sin and you need to repent. But you know what? There's, there's just as many things in the Bible about what we are supposed to be doing. And there's this verse in James, I think it's 417, that says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. And so I submit to you, church, that we should not just be only concerned about what we're not doing to keep ourselves pure, but that Jesus actually has something for us to do and to choose not to do it, that in itself is just as sinful as participating in the other licentious sins that we often attribute to the world. A lot of times we hear people talking about, well, I just don't feel a call. Like, here's the deal. You got a command, right? So you don't need to necessarily wait on this. We we often over-romanticize this deal, of a call to a mission field, a call to be in, in you know, foster care, a call to engage someone who's struggling. Like, no, like, it's just what we're supposed to, like, it's, it's we're following Jesus. We know that's where he's headed, to where people are broken. So, here's the deal. So, what, for me, for our church, for the journey, so Illinois, I can't, here's what I can't do. I can't spend the next 30 years just doing services and hoping people come. 
Amen? I just can't. I won't. I can't give my life to just doing services that people like that, and just hoping that they show up. But I truly believe the mission statement I had up there earlier, that our world is indeed broken, but our God is indeed about fixing it. And that I'll give my life to. I'll give my life to helping people find their role in God's big story. Because here's the deal. Like, the, the trajectory we're on right now with all these churches, all the, like studies show that most, Christi- most of the time whenever somebody meets Jesus, within two years of becoming a Christian, they no longer have any non-Christian friends. So the trajectory we're headed on right now is just to get people out of the world and into the church and then into the church maybe several times a week and, and you got to do this and get away. And, and now we have no witness, we have no presence in the world because we're like, that's, that's why that gap between what we're seeing in the world, the stats and the, the brokenness that I talked about earlier in the church, that's why it's widening every year because that's the trajectory of Christians is to be more and more isolated from whenever the world is more and more broken in Jesus. Man, Jesus very clearly would be going to them, right? So, I believe that God wants to use us, church. Use us, journey. Use us. We're not doing it on our own. We're not building the kingdom. He's doing it. He is the one at work. He wants to use us to make a difference in Illinois, not just for right now, but for generations. For generations. You think about the cyclical nature of the things we talked about from addiction and foster care, and then that wraps back right back around. The, the statistics of those who have been in foster care, who have been in trauma, like that end up in addiction themselves, having kids, like those are pretty staggering. I think it's something like 30% of homeless people were in foster care as children. So we must live like Jesus. We must be a people. Here's what I want. I want the people of the journey. I want the journey to be known as a, as a place like a friend of sinners. I want people to know about the journey is that that place is messy. They got broken people there, but they got real people that are loving on those broken people. And those real people are legit and honest and not weird, fake, hypocritical Christians. They know they're broken and they're not pretending otherwise. And they're just loving on other people. That's what I, I want us to be like Jesus and have the reputation of Jesus to be known to our community as a place, a friend of sinners, a place where broken, suffering people can come and find true genuine community as we point them to the true genuine savior here's the deal it's going to be messy like it just will be the call to get a part of to get into foster care like that's not just this really sweet story about rescuing a kid and adoption and it's over that's not how it works fostering fostering is not about adopt like there's no foster to adopt even like that's not even a thing like you could sign up to adopt, and you can wait, and there's kids that need them. Most of them are older. But if you're, gonna, if you're going into the foster world, like fostering is about reuniting families that are broken. That's the primary objective. So when you get into that, yeah, you're going to have to love on that kid, and that's going to be hard. But that's what they need. You know the reason that that percentage of kids in foster care end up homeless and that sort of thing is because, listen, you, didn't, you took it for granted with you and your own kids, but a baby and a child needs to attach it's just science, right? They need to attach to a loving caregiver. And when children don't get that, it makes life difficult to live. 
right? There are implications that are compounding over the years as that, the longer that that goes on, like the, and so these kids need people who are willing to attach to them, to love them for a season, and potentially to send them back home. And then even potentially, more potentially than that, people that are going to love on their parents and help their parents find Jesus so their parents can get straight and their parents can be their parents. Amen? That's true redemptive relationships. That's the beauty and the opportunity of foster care. Now, sure, a lot of times that doesn't work out, and those kids need forever homes, and we do that too. But, but that, like, and so it's going to be messy. And if you're going to get involved in, in walking with an addict, it's going to be messy. If you're going to get involved with a vet that's suffering, they're, they're, they may die. Like, you may get attached to them, and then they're going to, like, that's the reality of it, is it will indeed be messy. But here's the deal. We are broken. Our world is broken because of a broken relationship. With, like we were made by God, by a relational God, to be in relationship with him and one another. And sin fractured all of that. And so our brokenness is as a result of relationships being broken. And our healing is going to come through relationships. The transformation of our community, the transformation of the world is going to come through relationships. So here's the deal. Here's how we're going to end. I'm not quite done, but I want you to know what's coming. After the service, there's four opportunities set up for you to engage with out in the, in the foyer. And they go in line with the story that I told earlier. So there's Restore Network. If you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a group of churches partnering together to call, to recruit foster and adoptive families, but also to provide support and support teams to wrap around them so that they can provide actual lasting healing care for these kiddos. So there's a couple different ways you can connect and partner and, and get involved with Restore. First of which is you can consider, lean into Say yes to finding out more about becoming a foster and adoptive parent. We have a great opportunity. Actually, we've got a banquet coming up next weekend that you can come to. And this is not a commitment. You're not signing up for this. This is just saying, okay, I'll, I, will, I, will, I will lean in and learn more. Okay, so you can do that. And, and many people think, man, I can never be a foster. Like, just, if you would, just set your excuses aside and lean into that. And the second way you can partner with Restore is actually to come alongside them and, and support those who are in the in the. In the the world of fostering, you can come alongside and support them relationally, love on their kids. Here's what we don't need. We got enough stuff. Our church has responded really well, and we have a closet back there, but here's the deal. We got enough. And so if you're thinking about, like, we don't need more stuff right now, and here's why. That stuff that's in that closet only gets taken out when a kid comes into care and goes into one of our homes here locally. So you go back to the story earlier. Kids ain't coming into care and going into homes here locally because there are no homes. So the stuff sits there. What we need is families. So that one we're kind of good on. But there are other ways. Here's the, the, there's a child care team, and that doesn't sound real exciting, but here's what happens. is Once a month, all those foster families are coming here or coming to another church for a support group, and they're learning about tr- trauma and how to bring healing to their kiddos. And you can be a part of a team that brings consistency and structure and, and like familiarity to a bunch of kids while their parents get... If foster parents get some training, you can be a part of a team that helps them regulate, helps them heal. And the more consistent you are, the more you, like you could show up and you start to love on those kids. We're going to hear a story about that next Sunday night. We're going to hear a story about somebody who's just taken that. Like that's a relational opportunity. It's not just to come, fill a child care role, and then leave. Like if you show up, you begin to love on these kids. You begin to know these kids' stories, and you begin to be a source of light for them. So you can do that. You can start taking meals. There's lots of opportunities. So there's a table out there for that. Secondly, 
There's a t- table out there if you would like to uh, begin working with mentors. Uh, again, we got to start this program over. Mentors for Kids went away, but we have some opportunities, and I can't tell you about all that, but we, we're going to launch that. And what we need is volunteer. We need people who are saying, I'll be a mentor. I'll give six hours a month to loving on a kid who needs a relationship like that. You could sign up for that. We'll begin that process with you. Uh, there is Cross Recovery out there. There's a recovery program, a recovery group that meets every Tuesday night. And listen, here's what these people need. They need a lot, but here, here's, what, here's what I'm asking you to consider. Maybe you can go to the Tuesday night gatherings. Maybe you can't, but here's what they need. They need people who are not struggling with the same things as they are to just be their friend, to be their family. I want you to imagine that you're an addict and you get clean. Or are you desiring to get clean? You're in the process of it. So you're going to rehab, you're going to meetings, but then when you just go back to your life, it's still the same mess that you've made before. And you still have the same friends, the same lack of job, all those things. And what, they need, what, what these people are longing for and they would be a love to have is people that would just say, hey, you know what? Why don't you spend one night a week at our house for dinner? Why don't you just kind of be a part of our family? Can I just be your friend? Can I give you a ride to church? Those things would go a, a long way to just become a friend. I'll just call it recovery partners, just being a friend to somebody who's in recovery. You don't have to be an expert, but that opportunity will be out there as well. You just sign up. We'll follow up with you with more, more information. And then lastly, the veterans thing that I talked about, we have a lady in our church that runs the volunteer program at the VA to plug people like you and I in with people like I described earlier who have no one. And there's lots of opportunities for lots of different types of people with lots of different schedules in that program. So, that's how we're going to end is by having you guys go there. But here's the deal. I don't want to just guilt you into that because that ain't going to last because this stuff's going to be messy. And if you're just guilted and emotional and you say yes to something, you're not going to last because it's going to be really hard and really messy. I want to end with the passage that Tim read earlier, and I want to let the gospel and what Jesus, I want to just let this speak to us in closing. With a few comments on this, one quote, and then we're done. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're still open there, says this. Paul's talking about their ministry, why they do what they do. He says, for the love, verse 14, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls us. Other translation says compels us. Why? Because we've concluded this, that one died for all. Not just some, not just you and me, that one died for all. Therefore, all of us have died. Our lives are no longer our own. And he died for all that those who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You hear that? Jesus died for you. And that is true. And yes and amen. And you should shout with joy for that. But he died so that as you keep living, it's not just come to church, feel good, and wait till you get to heaven. No, no. It's so that as you live, you live for his sake You live following him. You're taking up your cross. You're going with him. And there's joy in that, but it's counterintuitive a lot of times. But but that's what he's done. Verse 16, So he says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What he's saying is Jesus changes everything. We're no longer looking at people as a transactional thing. Do you have anything? Do you have value to add to me if I do this for you? If I sign up for that ministry? If I do that, am I getting anything out of it? Or does this, this person, is there any you know, gain to be had for me. That's how we look at it when the flesh, well, do I want to be around that person? That person's going to cramp my style. That person's going to be a burden to me. That person might hurt me. That person might steal from me. Like, we're looking at all these things. He says, no, 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 the gospel changes all of that. And we're no longer looking at people according to the flesh. We're looking at them through the eyes of Christ. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. This is not you just mustering up the, 
the, you know, the do-good in you to become a person who can foster, a person who can mentor, a person who can walk with. No, no, no. All this comes from God. The transformation that makes us a people of God, that make a difference in the world for God, comes from him. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And listen, so that's good news, church. Jesus has, listen, the very nature of Jesus' ministry, Philippians 2 says, like it's incarnational. He leaves a place that is good and in order and, and right, and he steps into our mess. He incarnates into our mess so that you and I could be reconciled back to That's what Jesus has done for us, right? And so because he's reconciled us to himself, he has now gave us the ministry, the end of verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the broken world, this world, to himself. That means there's good news for every person out there. Because why? Because Jesus' work on the cross allows God to not count their sins against them. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. This is the language of Paul. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. My prayer is, Before you write somebody off as too much, not worth it, I don't have the energy, I don't have the time, I want you to take a moment and reflect on how Christ has loved you. Because, newsflash, you're not all that lovable. And his pursuit of you, his relationship with you has been messy, has it not? You've let him down. You forgot about him. You've been a burden to him. Have you not? I have, and yet what? Does, that, does he bail? Does he walk away? Say, man, it's not worth it. You're too much trouble. No, no, no. He gives more grace. He leans in further, gives more of himself. Amen? This is good news, church. That love, that gospel truth, what Christ has done for us, that compels us. That controls us. That leads us to make decisions with our time. That leads us to join ministries that Honestly, ain't going to gain us anything materially or in the moment. It's a whole other sermon, but there's treasures in heaven, and it's counterintuitive. But listen, it's the love of Christ that compels us to get involved in stuff like this. It's the love of Christ that compels us to be a church that is a friend of sinners. It's the love of Christ that compels us to be a church that actually begins to rewrite, to join God in rewriting stories of brokenness here, right now in 2019, in the lives of young kiddos, so that they break generational bonds of, of addiction and poverty, right? And then that, that compels us to love on those who are struggling with addiction so that their bonds can be broken and they can have freedom in Christ and, and their kids can have their parents back. It's the love of Christ that compels us to sit with a vet who doesn't have anybody and who's suffering. And listen, those are, those, that's not everything you can do. You can, you can do a whole lot of other things relationally in our community. I, we just want to give you some. If some of you are like, man, I don't know where to start. I don't know. That's me. I don't have any non-Christian friends. I don't know where to start. Well, here you go. Here you go. Close with this. It's a quote from William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He says this. He says, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. This doesn't come with, uh, this comes with tears from him, by the way. 
Put your ear down to the Bible. And hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of humanity. And listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Jesus, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to be dramatic for the sake of it. But I don't want to get done with this life and hear you say, hey, I was thirsty and you never gave me a drink. And I was sick and you never came to visit me and I didn't have any clothes and you never... I don't want to hear that. And I don't want to pastor a church that hears that. But Lord, we are not We're not good people. Like, we are sinners. And we need to start there. May we start there. May we be humbled by our own brokenness so that we can be compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ to join you as you rewrite, as you're reconciling the world to yourself. Help us, Lord. Help us to be ambassadors. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us to just to be obedient and to let you work through us. Shape us into a people, not for the journey's namesake, but for yours. Shape us into a people that can change the complexion of Southern Illinois and the world. We want to be about your business. We want to see you work. We want to see you rewrite stories of brokenness. We want to celebrate your work. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to move forward in obedience to you. Not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, but out of obedience to you. Would you give us that grace this morning? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.